All right. We're in our second sermon in a brand new sermon series in the book of Acts. We started last week. How many of you, just show of hands, were here last week? All right. It was an okay start, huh? Like, I've never gotten more emails after a sermon of people just, nothing to do with my preaching, but I'm so excited, Drew, that we are here at this point, at this time, 63 years in, and we're taking a look at the beginning of the explosion of the church, starting in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. People were saying, I'm so excited that we're going to take our time and go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through this amazing book of the Bible, which isn't just a history lesson. It's not just a a work of fiction or a, a great literary moment, but it's the actual true story of Jesus after he defeated death, after he rose from the grave, and as we will discover today, after he ascends to the right hand of God the Father, Jesus' continuing work through his church, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, as a church, we're leaning in. We're ready. We're excited. And if you miss that, no problem. You can go online to wherever podcasts can be heard or watched and simply search for Bel Air Church. And we started that brand new sermon series last week. It's called Our Origin Story. And today we're going to take a look at a short section of Scripture. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. So if you brought a Bible, why don't we open it up right now? And if you didn't bring one, no problem. That book in front of you that is red in color, that's our pew Bible. It's our gift to you. And we would love for you to take it home with you so that the truth and power of God's Word can speak into your life. It's an alive and active Word. And it's on page 884 in your pew Bible. And if you're accessing Scripture on your phone or if you're online, would love for you to go to, if you can, a new revised standard version of this passage. Let me set this up, though, because I've got to preface what we're about to read and orient us with where we're going to go. So if you would, keep your Scriptures open, your screens open. Last week, I talked about, in three verses, Luke reminding us of the significance of the resurrection, the significance of the Holy Spirit, and the significance of the church at work. And we're going to continue where I left off, but I've got to let you know that whenever I hear the word work in 2019, modern American Western, especially in Los Angeles, it brings to mind all these conversations I've had with some of you, with, uh, you know, friends, with people I counsel, even discussions I've had with broader groups, that whenever work comes up, especially in our modern context, this word burnout often comes to mind. And sociologists are telling us that right now that the level of burnout in our work is at the highest point that it's ever been in human history. Now, at the same time, There's also the sense that I get as I have conversations with people that as they work, as they do so professionally, or even the work within the church family here on campus, or the work as the church out on the world and in the city and our neighborhoods, that there's also this this tremendous sense of just wasted energy. Now, how many of you, show of hands, maybe even if it's for a season or a week or even for a day, have you ever experienced in your work just a sense of burnout? I can put, like, every limb up, right? Okay. So, okay. Now, how many of you have ever, uh, in a project, whether it's, you know, professionally or even at home, uh, you just felt like you've given all this energy to it, and at the end of the day, it just felt like just wasted energy? 
I can, you know, yes, okay, great. I want to frame today's sermon, Acts 1, 4 through 14, through the lens of the cure for burnout and wasted energy. So let's read Acts 1, 4 through 14. Pick it up where we left off last week. Acts 1, verse 4. While staying with them, he, this is Jesus, ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. It's Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly praying and devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, so before we get into the, the two points that I have for us, just two points today. Before we do that, I, I want to preface this a little bit and say, how fascinating is it, and I'm going to paraphrase here, that Luke records that after 40 days of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God, that was last week's sermon, verse 3. So after 40 days, Jesus has risen from the grave. He's risen and now physically and spiritually, he's appeared to his disciples, and for 40 days straight, he's talking about the kingdom of God. And after 40 days, they ask him a question. I'm paraphrasing here. And he's saying, the disciples are saying to Jesus, so will you, Jesus, establish the kingdom of God for us? Take a look. It's basically what they're asking him. In verse 6, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Okay, I'm paraphrasing here. Disciples are saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus, we've heard you for 40 days. Kingdom of God. Yeah, we got it. Okay. Is this the time that you, Jesus, are going to establish the kingdom of God for us? And I love the fact that Jesus is so patient filled with so much grace, instead of saying, oh my gosh, this, these people, this is unbelievable. Are you kidding me? 40 days I've been with you. 40 days resurrected, 
40, what, 40 days, and you think the kingdom of God is just for you? I'm so thankful that he's patient and filled with grace. And he simply just re-aims their heart. He re-aims their mind. He, he, he helps them get a bigger, grander picture of the kingdom of God, and he turns it back to them in verse 8, and, he, and I'm paraphrasing here. He says, no, will you establish my kingdom for all people on the planet. They're focused on Jesus building a kingdom for them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Will you build my kingdom for all people, starting in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth? And right there in that moment, he, he disappears. He ascends. What's going on here? And how on earth is this related to the cure for burnout and wasted energy? Well, the two uh, points that I have for us today, the first is this. It's understanding the energy of the ascension. That's the first point. Some of you are taking notes on paper, in your phones, and you're like, energy? I'm in church. I don't hear energy much. We'll get there. First point, understand the energy of the ascension. Second point, being harnessed by the energy of the ascension. Being harnessed by the energy of the ascension. All right, so before I get into these two points, I, I've got to define energy. What, what do I mean in the context of this room by energy? Well, I love it's the physics primer here. Okay, this is not uh, the spiritual thing, you know, woo, you know, physics. Uh, Encyclopedia Britannica says that the definition for energy is simply the capacity to do work. That's all that energy is, the capacity to do work. A lot of different types of energy. There's potential energy and kinetic energy and thermonuclear energy and just thermal energy and just nuclear. Lots of different types of energy, the capacity to do work. Now, I think one of the reasons why we have such burnout is because we think that we live in a world where work is just kinetic energy. You see, kinetic energy, again, physics primer, some of you, you know this, and I'm just taking us back to 10th grade or 11th grade or for some of you, 12th grade. For some of you, maybe 6th grade, you started learning these things. Kinetic energy is the energy of an object in motion. When you think about an arrow flying through the air, it's got a lot of kinetic energy. When you think about a bullet flying through the air, I've got a lot of kinetic energy. When you think about a car, your car flying on the freeway, which is just Sunday mornings apparently in Los Angeles. Every other time it's got much less kinetic energy. The, you know, the faster it goes, the more that it's in motion, the more energy it has. And so I think one of the reasons why we have such burnout is because we've been raised in our schools and in our businesses to go and go and go and go. Inbox zero, you better return that phone call now, and you better get ahead, and you better get yourself out there, and you better be the first in line, the last to leave, and you better do these things. You gotta hustle, you gotta get out there, you gotta be in motion. Don't stop, get it, get it, let's go. That's also a great hip hop song, by the way. Little moment, you know what I'm saying. Those that know, know, okay. 
But it's this idea that you gotta go, 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 go. You gotta get out there. And I wonder, I wonder if one of the reasons why many of us raise our hands is because we've had days where, you know, the phrase is we're burning the candle at both ends. We, we are running out of energy. Our capacity to work is diminished because we can't stay in motion forever. Eventually, the arrow will hit the ground. The bullet will eventually hit the ground. The car eventually will run out of gas. We in our professional lives, in our personal lives, as a church, as we're talking about being a church at work and rolling up our sleeves and engaging in work that is for God's kingdom, we can't enter into this with just kinetic energy. We've got to understand potential energy. Very different than kinetic energy. This is something that many of us don't understand in our work lives. We don't talk much about it. It's, it's overlooked. It's often forgotten. Potential energy is not about the energy of an object in motion. Ready for this? I love this definition. This is also Encyclopedia Britannica. Potential energy is the stored energy of an object in relation to other parts of a system. It's a long definition. I'll say it again. Potential energy is stored energy of an object in relation to other parts within a system. I'm going to give you a couple examples. I'm going to give you more examples in this service than I did in the 9 o'clock. And by the way, I'm going to spend a lot more time on this first point than the second point, because the first point of the, you know, the energy of the ascension, if we, if we miss this, if we don't understand that, we'll never be harnessed by it. And I'm telling you, I am so excited, energized, just filled with such indescribable joy to think of what could happen if we grasp this first point of understanding the energy of the ascension. I believe it's going to change our personal lives. I believe it's going to change our professional lives. I believe it's going to change how we relate to one another, the work of relationships. I think it's going to change the future course of this church. So sit up and pay attention. (laughs) Drew. Oh, yeah, and church. Because I need to hear this, and we need to hear this, and those online need to hear this. Okay, potential energy. Couple examples. Remember, I talked about that that arrow flying, you know, through the air, kinetic energy. Eventually, it's going to hit the ground. Well, well, potential energy is very fascinating because if you have that 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 arrow lying on the ground, it has zero potential energy. If you pick up that arrow, it's got more potential energy because now it is an object in relation to another part in the system. So now it is in relation to me in my hand, so I now can throw that arrow, right? So it has, this is physics here, it has stored up energy in that arrow the moment I pick it up. But I think an arrow can go much further than just if I throw it, right? Uh, how many of you know the phrase, knock, draw, Loose. Anybody know that? Man, the archer's in the house. Nobody in the 9 o'clock, they're like, say what? Knock? No, knock. Okay, so ready for this? 
Uh, the, the end of an arrow is, is literally referred to, not, not the point, the other end is referred to as a knock. And when you take that arrow, and you take that, the knock of the arrow, and you place it in the knock point of the bowstring, in that moment, the potential energy in that arrow has just magnified. Now when you draw that bow string back, has the potential energy in that arrow just gone up? Infinitely more. And when you loose that arrow, it's going to shoot so much farther than if you didn't draw it back or if you just had it in your hand. Now here's what's so fascinating. This idea of potential energy in this kind of way of thinking says that when an object is in relation to another part within a system, it can dramatically change its potential, its stored up energy, which actually in the future will change its kinetic energy, the, the links, the, its capacity for work. Now this, this imagery actually of an archer is used all throughout Scripture. I don't know if you know, but in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 14, it talks about a diligent worker and a lazy worker. Did you know that the lazy worker, the image in the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, literally gives the image of a bow and arrow, but the string is slack. It's where we get the term slacker from. Lazy work is when there's not much potential energy being converted to kinetic energy. But what's fascinating is that Proverbs 10, 14 uh, doesn't describe the difference between a slacker, a lazy worker, and a driven worker, which is our culture, kinetic energy, go, 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 go. It describes the difference between a lazy worker and a diligent worker. And in the Hebrew language, language of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, a diligent worker gives the image of an archer aiming at the right thing. It's targeted work. It's focused work. If any of you are farmers or no farmers, you're never going to go out, no matter how much work you do, in January and get a strawberry harvest. No matter how much you dig the ground, no matter how much you water the ground, you can work, 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 work. And if it's not focused work, it's not going to work. Some of you fishermen, where's Dave Clausen in the house? Dave, I saw you right here. Let's you and I have a conversation about fly fishing for a moment. Everybody can listen in, right? So we, 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 we know, I know you're one of the best fly fishermen I know. Uh, you know that when the barometric pressure drops from high to low, that's when the fish are hot, right? Uh, what do you call it? The magic hour. Something happens. Most people don't know this. Why do many of us go fishing? And we're just sitting, we're waiting. We don't realize that in that moment we're not doing targeted work. We're not doing diligent work. But when the, the high to low, all of a sudden the fish come to the surface, they get hungry, a hatch can form, fishing's on. But Dave knows, listen in, fisherman, fisherwoman. When the barometric pressure changes from low to high, <laughs> What's the opposite of magic hour? 
Yeah, yeah, man, you're getting out of there at that point. You're leaving, right? And what happens in that moment, the fish are experiencing, they say, what you experience when you're coming down on an airplane into LAX and your, your ears begin to fill up and you have the pressure and you can't pop. The pressure's changing. Do you want to go to Spago in that moment? No! You don't want to eat in that moment. You, you want to you pop your ears. And so the fish go down to the surface, not even a bite. So if out in the world there's this truth that work and potential energy are not just an object in relation to a part within a system, but there's also this, this timing aspect that, that the system is actually bigger. Let me give you a, a modern example. Uh, DJ, let's have a conversation. What's up, man? It's conversations. Uh, you know, I always have a conversation with you, so let's, we'll, we'll save that for later. A any, any auto enthusiasts here? Yeah, okay, so Buck Ray, I see that. I, I, why didn't I think of you? Okay. So the, 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 I can't pronounce it, Koenig, Koenigs, Koenigsig, Koenigsig, Adera, Agera, Koenigsig Agera, I should have talked to you, sorry Buck, sorry DJ, Fiona, okay, <laughs> what's up, okay, okay, I didn't know this about you Fiona, so, yes, true, right, yes, so this Swedish car maker, 2015, produced 25 Koenigsig Agera, uh, it sold for 2.5 million. Say what? Okay. Uh, it sold out in 10 months, and apparently in 2017, it set the world record for the fastest production vehicle on the planet, 277.9 miles an hour. It's like 1,143 horsepower. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big, big amount of horsepower, right? You think about the kinetic energy of that vehicle flying down the road. It, it can go 0 to 60 in 2.9 seconds, right? So you think about the kinetic energy of that object in motion. Now, I want you to consider something. When it is parked in your driveway, it actually has zero potential energy. It will forever stay inactive. It will forever stay turned off. It will forever stay immobile until you as the driver get into the vehicle, until you as the driver turn that ignition on, right? Oh, it's a button. What would I do without you here? So how cool is that? Until you as a driver press the button. <laughs> Fact check, real time, I love this. Do they have pedals? I assume, right? Okay. That would have just ruined my whole illustration. Until you as a driver press, well, you got to put it in gear too. All the things, you, you know, right? So in that moment, the moment you get into position, Potential energy is the stored energy of an object in relation to another part within a system. So that car, all of a sudden, its stored energy massively rises up when you get into the front seat. Now, here's the thing. What happens if you get into the back seat? Zero potential energy. You can't reach the button. You're not Gumby, uh, you know, go-go gadget, another one. You, you can't, you, even if you do this, it's not going to work from the back seat. You've got to get in the right position. Okay, 
metaphors here, physics here. This can also be true not just with objects related to parts within a system. This also has to do with relationships. Some of you can get into the restaurants I wish I could get into because of your relationship with the owner. Man, some of you, you go to Dodger Stadium batting practice because you're in relation to some of the players. Many of you work in various industries within Los Angeles. And because of who you are, because of your position in relationship to other people, whether it's your position that you hold within the company or within the group, or it's who you're in relationship with through your business networks, you actually have more stored energy than you did when you were two years old because you've kind of ascended into that position. Now, this idea of ascension, remember, understanding the energy of the ascension, when the, the disciples see Jesus basically leave and, and they're looking up, he hasn't done space travel in that moment. He doesn't now relate to us like somebody in the penthouse relates to somebody in the first floor. His ascension isn't just a physical move, movement. Let me explain. Uh, throne in England, right? I think there's a throne. Who's the expert in England? It's anybody? Right here. There's an actual throne. It's not just an idea. It's an actual thing. So I imagine if I could somehow get past the guards, which would be fun, you know, if I could, if I could do that, I could ascend and, and get on the throne of England. I would still have zero potential energy because it's not just a physical thing. It's an office. And when the Queen of England at one day ascended to the throne of England, all of a sudden the stored energy in her leadership and in her life and in her influence radically changed because who she was in relation to all the people in the United Kingdom changed. You following me here? I was having a conversation with somebody two weeks ago. Uh, he is a cousin of one of the most famous people on the planet. And he was telling me that his life dramatically has changed over the decades, not because of any work that he's done, but because who he is in relationship to his cousin. You've got to understand that when Jesus ascends, that in that moment, like the Queen of England, in the same way that it's not just a physical movement, but there's this relational shift, a change. We're now for her, now that she's on the throne, her power, her wisdom, her leadership, uh, her, 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 her desires, her, how she wants to focus the resources of the, of the kingdom, of the country, now changes how she relates to and guides and leads and points the whole country. In the same way that when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, you've got to understand this. And this is going to, this changes everything if we can grasp it, me and you and we individually and as a church. It's not just that Jesus defeated death. It's not just that he appeared. 
It's that when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is now at the most powerful position in the cosmos. And what's so amazing about that is think about potential energy here. Who Jesus is in relation to the universe has now changed. Now that he's at the right hand of the Father. If he was perfectly loving as a human being here on earth, though fully God, though stuck in time, though only able to be in one place at one time, how much more infinitely powerful is he now at the right hand of the Father, able to be present everywhere? So the fact that Jesus is a prophet here on earth, Scripture says, now that he has ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is now a cosmic prophet. There's this amazing moment in Ephesians 4, 20 and 21. You can read it later. Maybe write it down. Where Paul is basically saying, remember when you heard Jesus teach you. And many modern translations try to soften it because it's a little confusing. And they say, remember when you heard about the teachings of Jesus. In the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, it literally is saying, remember when you heard Jesus teach you. And he's speaking to a group of people that have never physically met Jesus but heard the testimony about Jesus and the teaching of Jesus by the church. So now that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, here's what's amazing. And we'll get to this as we unfold this amazing sermon series. That Jesus wants to say something to the world. Ready for this? Now Jesus is the right hand of the Father. And the stored energy in his prophetic word, what he wants to reveal about God's heart, is infinite, and it is powerful, and it can go to the whole cosmos. And I'm skipping ahead because we can be harnessed by this. When God says, through Jesus, I want to speak a word of hope and a word of truth and a word of love and a word of forgiveness and a word of reconciliation to the world through my church. And when the church allows themselves to be harnessed by the energy, the power of Jesus, that when we speak, and if it's in line with Scripture, when it's in line with the heart of God, it's not our voice. It is the voice of Jesus meeting people where they're at. So that's why when Jesus said, uh, I think it's in, in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, that no one born of a woman is greater than John the Baptist, right? And then he goes on to say, but the least in the kingdom of heaven, some translations say the kingdom of God is even greater than he. What's that all about? What Jesus is saying is that John the Baptist And he goes on to say, was a prophet who revealed the heart of God. And yet because Jesus has now ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now the the prophetic word of what God wants to reveal to the world through his people now comes through the power of the Holy Spirit to all who would be open to it, even the least in the kingdom of God, which is kind of an interesting thought, I wonder who that is. (laughs) I mean, are they here today? You know, how cool is that? I want to meet you, right? 
We're such prideful people. Like, no, I'm not the least. Jesus, the last will be first. Jesus, even the least in the kingdom of God has a greater understanding of what God wants to reveal through his people than even John the Baptist. John the Baptist had no fathomable idea that Jesus would ascend to the right hand of the Father, that he would be a cosmic prophet, a cosmic priest, and a cosmic king. Which, side note, the book of Acts is all about the cosmic prophecy of Jesus being unleashed to the church. And by cosmic, don't think new agey here. I'm talking about from a place that spans the whole of God's creation. The book of Hebrews is about the cosmic priestliness of Jesus. The book of Ephesians is about the cosmic kingship of Jesus. It's absolutely remarkable when we begin to grasp. Let me say it this way. When a, an arrow goes from on the ground to in the drawn position, it's gone from zero energy to a whole lot of potential energy, right? When the Koenigsegg, I can't pronounce it right, uh, goes from sitting empty to Fiona in the driver's seat, pressing the button, getting in gear, and ready to go, mash on that you know, pedal, it's gone from zero energy to massive amounts of potential energy. So there's a transfer there of stored energy just builds up. I want to say it this way. There has never been nor ever will be a greater sense of going from a level of energy to a massive amount of stored energy than the moment when Jesus came from earth to ascending to the right hand of the Father. All of his perfect love, all of his miracles, all of his teaching have now been magnified in such a, a potentially detonating in a loving sort of way. And here's what's absolutely phenomenal. He says to the disciples, right before, he says, I'm going to point you like an arrow out into this world to be my witnesses, to advance my kingdom. I'm about to do all this. But before you do that, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. And this gets to the second point, the brief point, the second point, which is being harnessed by the energy of the ascension. I want to show this to you, if you would. Would you open your Bibles back up? Take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Again, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for the Holy Spirit. He says that in verse 4, and then they make a choice. Let me say a couple things before I read it. They make a choice that is different than maybe many choices that many of us would make. You know, we've just heard from the resurrected Lord. He ascends to the Father. I'm going to send you out to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Many of us, because we've, we, we live here, 2019, modern Western American Los Angeles worldview, we're driven, kinetic people. We would get after it. Don't stop. Get it, get it. Let's go. Let's go big for Jesus, okay? Let's go after it. Let's do it. Let's mobilize. Let's go. They don't choose that way. They choose to listen. They choose to be obedient. And in verse 14, we see exactly what that looks like. All these were constantly. Now I'm going to take this one little chunk at a time. All. 
It's not some, all. It wasn't enough for one or a half or five-eighths or nine-tenths. It was all. Now, our translation says constantly. The Greek word is my favorite word, homothumadon. Say what? This is it. Some of you are like, why are people laughing? The first sermon I ever preached as a senior pastor of this church was going from Hosanna to Hamathumadon. It's used 11 times in the New Testament, 10 of which are used in the book of Acts. And it gives this picture of a group of people being one heart, one mind, of one accord. They're in sync. There's a sense of passion. There's this sense of, of coming togetherness. It's, it's they can read each other's minds, it seems like. They're just... How many of you were at the John Mayer concert, by the way, on Friday night like I was? What's up, Sean? Yes, both of you guys. My guys, I've known you since high school. I love it. It's good to have you here, by the way. So we were there. We knew. There's this moment. It's an 11 and a half. First part, let's have a conversation for a moment, right? The encore. John at the piano. This is my 22nd time seeing him live. Starts off with, your, you're going to live forever in me, Right? Then he goes into gravity. And then he goes into Otis Redding's I've Got Dreams to Remember. And some of you are like, that doesn't mean anything to me. But for those of us that were there, standing on our feet, as the lights from the ceiling began to shine down, and everybody had their phones up. Nobody has lighters anymore. They had the phones up. And people are saying, I've got dreams to remember. I've got dreams to remember. The whole place in that moment was experiencing a secular version of Hamathumadon. We were of one heart. We were of one mind. We knew the lyrics of the song, and we were singing together. And it was like this out-of-body experience. And because for me, as a follower of Christ... I connect these earthly moments to actually a deeper, richer, more profound, universal truth of who God is. And so for me in that moment, it was an image, a shadow that pointed to the ultimate reality of what it means to be part of God's people, bringing our gifts, coming together, being of one heart, of one mind, in sync with one another. And that's how Luke describes the early church. It's like that, but infinitely greater. Basically, what they were doing is that they were constantly of one heart, of one mind, in steadfast, endurance-laden prayer. They were collectively coming together, and they were seeking God's heart. They were open to God's leading, open to God's moving. And what was happening in that moment, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way, they were individual arrows not choosing to go off in their own direction, but they said collectively, unanimously, Jesus, God the Father, we want to be bound together as a quiver in your hands. We don't want to do anything other than wait for you to draw us back, to store up energy in us, to point us where you would have us go. 
We want to wait. We want you to harness us through your power. Now at the right hand of the Father that can see all things, that knows all things, that is perfectly loving, perfectly true. Let us go. And that's next week's sermon where Jesus pours out his spirit and the arrows fly from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And that's the reason why we are here today. So what would it look like for you this week before you get up and go, before you respond to emails, before you get that cover letter nice and dialed, before you go to that interview, before you go to that audition, what if you just imagined Jesus in this moment? I want to be in your hands. And as I go into this situation, as I go into this thing, would you aim me at the things you want? Would my heart be focused on? Would my mind be focused on? Would I, would I care about the things that you care about? Even more so, what if you, in community, started praying together before you go into your workplaces to see that you actually have an opportunity to be aimed by Jesus himself into those places to be witnesses, ambassadors, bearers of truth and love wherever you go? Jesus has so much capacity to work through you, infinitely more. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 3, the God who can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. That's the cure for burnout. You put your life into His hands through prayer, through reading God's Word, through getting in community, oriented around these things. That's the cure to wasted energy because you say daily, hourly, minute by minute, God, where do you want me to focus on this? I know this, this distraction's coming over here. This, this criticism is coming over here. Is this what you want me to respond to? What, what, what would you have for me? No wonder Jesus said, even the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. Even the gates of hell... Even whack preachers that make it all about them. Even like weird movements within Christianity where they focus on this little thing. Even in those moments where we as Christians, followers of Christ, have just really said some stupid things that hasn't distracted from ultimately what Jesus wants to do in and through his people, through the power of the Spirit, and I want to be a part of that. Do you? Yes. Let's pray. Jesus, we are applauding because we're excited for what you want to do. And I know I need to, in this moment, just be reminded, God, of how important it is for me to daily, like you, Jesus, to withdraw to the solitary place in intimacy with you through prayer, through the reading of your word, through an asking, Jesus, where do you want me to go? That it's going to change how I work. And God, would we individually and collectively as a church, as we lean into these things in our lives, as a church community that spreads throughout this city, would we commit this week, even if we're not physically together, would we commit to being of one accord, of one heart, of one mind, seeking how you might hold us, draw us back like a master archer, aiming us to the things that matter most? Jesus, it's all for your glory. 
Lead us to your cross, a cross that you have now left, a cross that points to an empty tomb, an empty tomb that points to you on the throne at the right hand of God. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray and we say together, amen.